Now let me tell you, I read this and I think, future hope is a lot less exciting than I thought it would be, right? Gardening, mm, I don't know. Really, Jesus? I think the original audience might have heard the same thing. I was hoping Jesus would show up, the Messiah who's been promised would show up to kick butt and take names, right? That's what we want. I want you to smite my enemies and I wanna be a part of it, so I'm gonna hold on to my weapon real tight so I can help, because it sounds like fun. I'll be prepared to fight, Jesus. I'll fight with you. Ben did such a good job leading us in breathing, but I want us to do it again. This is our first Sunday in this theme of breathing in Advent, so we are gonna just take a couple more deep breaths. So one nice big one. And out. One more. As Pastor Chad said, today is our first Sunday of Advent, and this year we have decided to focus our season around the theme of breath. It feels a little antithetical almost to take the time to sit and breathe when this time of year kind of goes full speed ahead, uh, usually described with words like hustle and bustle. In fact, I used those exact words in my sermon on Wednesday night, Thanksgiving Eve with wish lists and to-do lists and gatherings and travel, the season of Advent usually just feels busy. This is in part why we chose this theme. It's so important to breathe, to pause, to take time to breathe in hope, breathe in peace, breathe in joy, breathe in love. To sit and notice some, and in some ways return to ourselves. It's easy sometimes to just sit in our heads and think all the things and do all the planning up here. Breathing returns us to our whole body. We light these candles and we breathe together. Each week we will do this in order that we might, as the old hymn says, prepare him room. Now, Advent means, the word means arrival. We've said this many years from this very spot. I find it important to remind myself in particular this time of year that there is nothing I can do to hasten or bring about the arrival of Christ into the world again. Jesus is going to arrive. It's a done deal, a foregone conclusion. It is going to happen. No to-do list will make it happen faster or better. It will happen apart from me, with me, all the things. So then the question for me each Advent is not, what do I have to do to help Jesus arrive? But instead the question becomes, do I have room for Jesus when he arrives? Do I have time for Jesus when he arrives? Our text this morning from Isaiah begins with the words, in days to come. The prophet Isaiah is speaking to a group of people who have witnessed the absolute crumbling of life as they know it. And Isaiah has the nerve, the absolute nerve, to offer them these words. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest, and everyone will come and look at it. It's going to be awesome. It's important to note that the beginning of this whole section, in days to come, is a reminder that this has not 
happened yet. They are standing in the rubble of their temple and of their lives. And Isaiah says, in days to come, it's not going to look like this. As in, it's not yet their reality, but it is coming. That means this is a word of hope. And today we lit the candle of hope again. And each year we light this candle on the first Sunday of Advent. And I feel like, gosh, I need the candle of hope more this year than last year. And then the next year I'm like, gosh, I feel like I need the candle of hope more this year than last year. And somehow it just keeps happening that way every year. When we light this candle of hope, we join with the prophets like Isaiah saying, in days to come. Something else is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it will. The arrival is coming. My favorite author and modern prophet, Barbara Brown Taylor, wrote that in Advent, in this time of year, the earth is so thick with divine possibility that it's a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. Isn't that so beautiful? This quote came to mind this week as I was thinking about the promise of future hope that is given to us in Advent. The world is thick with divine possibility. I just love that. So if the arrival is inevitable, then how do we prepare? What are we supposed to do in Advent? Isaiah uses this metaphor in his words, a future hope of beating swords into plowshares. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time today, on this single image painted for us by Isaiah. Not many of us in the room are farmers, I'd wager. I mean, some might have that in your history, and that is amazing. Uh, I do not. So I garden and often kill many things, um, but I have not plowed anything before. Uh, So I just want to note that this image of a plowshare will not be as stark to most of us as to the original audience of Isaiah, an agricultural audience. So I want to show a picture of a plowshare so you can all see what he's talking about. Plowshare is that sharp implement that you push and it digs into the ground to prepare the soil for planting. That is a plowshare right there. Isaiah talks about turning swords into plowshares. You can literally do this, people do. Here's a few images of this. These are garden tools made out of guns. And this is a plowshare with arrows on it and sword handles sticking out of it. There are organizations that do this. One in particular is called Raw Tools. All over the U.S., they collect implements of war and violence and turn them into implements of peace and hope. We're going to watch a little clip of this right here. There are so many um, other beautiful artistic renderings of this idea from Isaiah. Some people do it literally like that, which is awesome. But a lot of artists have done this same thing, and I want to just show a few of these. So this is the sculpture outside of the UN. Um, you can go and visit it anytime. Uh, this is a statue of a man beating a sword into a plowshare. It's one of the most famous images of that text. This is a, a, a guns into plowshare sculpture. It is in Washington, D.C. This is another one that's a plowshare. And as you zoom in closer on it, you can see it's just made up of surrendered guns, which is so beautiful. The whole swoop of it is 
guns. You can also go look at that one. Um, this is a chair, a tool of rest instead of a tool of violence made out of surrendered weapons. This is the tree of life, it's called, by an artist, Carvalis. He made it all, it's all out of guns. You even see the little animals um, climbing the tree and on the ground next to it. That is, those are also made out of surrendered guns. Uh, this is uh, an artist's rendering of guns into plowshares, which is so beautiful, I think. Uh, and this is also a sculpture. Those are all surrendered guns. The trees, the sun, the sky, all surrendered guns. Swords into plowshares uh, does not have to be literal. It doesn't even have to be artistic. Uh, I love all of those, obviously. It, it can be real. It can also be a metaphor. If we spend a little time with these words, I think we see the distinction Isaiah is trying to make. Swords symbolized tools of war, destructive tools of war. Plowshares symbolize creative tools that benefit mankind. In the days to come, Isaiah says, you won't need tools of war. You will need tools for growth, for planting, for staying put and growing roots and feeding each other. In days to come, you won't need weapons. You'll be growing things, not fighting each other. So you're going to need some gardening tools. Now let me tell you, I read this and I think, future hope is a lot less exciting than I thought it would be, right? Gardening? Mm, I don't know. Really, Jesus? I think the original audience might have heard the same thing. I was hoping Jesus would show up, the Messiah who's been promised would show up to kick butt and take names, right? That's what we want. I want you to smite my enemies and I want to be a part of it, so I'm going to hold on to my weapon real tight so I can help, because it sounds like fun. I'll be prepared to fight, Jesus. I'll fight with you. Earth is thick with divine possibility. Christ is coming, arrival is imminent, but I wonder, I wonder, are the tools I'm holding on to in order that I might be ready for the arrival of Jesus tools of destruction or tools of creation? Are they implements of death or implements of life? What are my swords of the season that I hold on to so tightly? Schedules, to-do lists, performative happiness, doing things the way we've always done them. This can be less innocuous too. Actual weapons, uh, so those, that first list kind of feels a little safe. The, we're talking about actual weapons too, right? Things we hold on to like Actual guns we refuse to regulate while mass shootings just this past week left 14 newly empty chairs. There are other destructive tools that we hold so tightly to that show up in forms of hate, like homophobia, sexism, racism, classism, ableism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, Christian nationalism. Ooh, we're holding them tight. When we enter into the season of Advent preparation, we aren't signing up actually to do more and be busier and join in the hustle and bustle. We are making a choice when we join in Advent to participate in a future that does not exist yet and is not brought into reality easier or more quickly by to-do lists and busyness. Those things just help us, not God. Our swords, be they 
real or metaphorical. They help us feel safe when things feel out of control. We believe they can protect us. We don't want to let them go because they're familiar and familiar is safe, even if it's not helping us. And I get it, I do. But here is the good news for those of us holding our swords with a white knuckle grip. At the arrival of Jesus, they are no longer needed. When Jesus arrives, we think it will be this big flashy thing or we'll need tools for the battle. And Isaiah's words this morning tell us that the arrival, the advent of Jesus will look a lot less like war and a, more, a lot more like divine possibility. And honestly, it'll look, look a lot more simple. It will look like everyone having food, people not fighting anymore, everyone having a place to live. When we start our Advent preparations each year, there's a reason why hope comes first. Because before we can find peace or joy or love, we need to take just a little time and find our hope again. Now, finding hope is not without pain or difficulty. It requires looking at the brokenness around us and seeing it for what it is. To not pretend everything is okay, but to see all the ways we need Jesus to arrive again. Hope is first because we need it first. We need hope to believe there is another way. We need hope to trust there is more than this. Hope is step one in preparing for the arrival of God into the world once again. And it begins with preparing him room. So what are you preparing for? For people being together, for shared food and places to live and no more fighting, we are preparing for a future that does not exist yet, but we have hope that it will arrive soon. So we take one more deep breath and we breathe in hope together, in and out. Amen. So we lit that one candle once again and we keep our eyes open for moments of hope and I hope you saw one in real time right here at the baptismal font. I hope you all caught that one. That was one of the altars we cannot help but crack our shins against as the earth is thick with divine possibility. That is here. That is what just happened. We witnessed hope coming into our hearts yet again. So one more time, we're going to take a deep breath together. That was a good one, I heard it out. We breathe in and out hope, and we long for the days yet to come. They are coming, Christ is coming, and so we go in peace to love and serve the Lord.